Mark chapter 3, beginning at verse 20. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, the house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house. I tell you the truth. All the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven then. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying, He has an evil spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Let me pray as we listen to God's word. Father in heaven, we, we come needing to, to hear the teaching of Jesus, needing to hear the warning and hear the promises. And so, Lord, I pray where, where we are caught in our sin that we would find forgiveness by turning to Jesus. Lord, where we are, are in doubt or we question what is, what is true, that we would find truth by coming to Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that the ministry of Jesus would be clear to us today, that even as we prepare to to receive the sacrament, to be blessed by Jesus himself at the table that he has set for us, that we would hear his word and our lives would be transformed. Lord, let the life and ministry and the death and resurrection of Jesus be our hope. And so we come praying in Jesus' name. Amen. He's out of his mind. He's evil. There is clearly some collusion with the devil. Okay, no, those are not news, uh, news reports about presidential candidates. Those are the accusations brought against Jesus. The accusations that by his own family that he's crazy. The accusations brought by the religious leaders that he's evil. And yet, all of these accusations are met by the reality that Mark gives to us, that he is God himself. And so as we, as we read this passage, as we listen to it, as we look at, at the Scriptures, we're, we're really just following the, the simple outline that Mark has given us. It's one that Pastor Sinclair Ferguson points out, that, that either Jesus is crazy, that's his family's point of view, or he's evil, That's the religious leader's point of view. Or he's divine. That's the gospel's point of view. That's Mark's point of view. 
And so it, this, this passage confronts us. We're, we're not able to leave Jesus in the category of, of nice religious instructor, of good moral teacher. And that might be the place that, that you want to keep Jesus today. Because if you keep Jesus there, then, then you can keep him at a distance. When he says things that align with what you believe, turn the other cheek, you know, love your, love your enemies, then, then you can listen to him. When he says things that don't align, if Jesus is just a, a teacher, just a moral instructor, if he says things that don't align with what you believe, then you just ignore him. When he says things like, sell all your possessions and give to the poor. Or when he says things like, like, I am the son of God. Before Abraham was born, I am. When he says those kinds of confrontational things, well, if he's just a good teacher, we say, well, that falls in the category. That's the part of the syllabus that I'm going to choose to ignore. I'll take the pieces that I want. But, but when, we, when we read Mark's gospel, that's not an option. It actually doesn't make sense to leave Jesus in the category of good moral teacher. Either he's crazy, he's evil, or he really is who he claims to be, the Son of God in the flesh. I mean, notice, notice with me the, the way that, that this story is framed, and actually you'll, you'll see that it's, it's kind of a sandwich. You've got the, the family brings their confrontation at the beginning, and then we don't actually resolve the family story until the end because we've got to deal with the, the bigger accusation in the middle. But, but notice with me when the, when the family comes. Jesus is there with, with a crowd gathered around him. I mean, the crowd is so big that, that his, he and his disciples aren't even able to eat. Their, their meal has been interrupted, or even the possibility, perhaps, of them getting food into the house because people are crowding around to be close to Jesus. And that's something we've seen throughout this gospel, that people, as they hear Jesus' message, as they witness his miracles, they want to be where he is. And so his family comes. They hear about what's going on. They live not far away, likely, the town in which Jesus grew up is, is just a short journey away. And so they're here to confront Jesus. And look at verse 21 with me. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. Okay, now that's a, a, a generous and gentle translation of a word that elsewhere in this gospel means arrest. They came to arrest him. So when Herod arrests John the Baptist, it's the same word. When the, when the religious leaders try and figure out a way to arrest Jesus, it's the same word. When Jesus himself is arrested at the end of this gospel story, it's the same word. And so when the family comes, it's not that they're coming to, you know, kind of shoo him off stage gently. No, they're coming to take control of the situation, to take control of Jesus' life and ministry. They're essentially going to, to arrest him and drag him away and end this public ministry. Why? They tell us. Verse 21. He is out of his mind. Now, that seems actually like an appropriate response. And actually, that's the response you have every time you encounter somebody, either in person or more likely kind of through a news report, that makes the kinds of claims that Jesus makes. If somebody stepped in front of you and said, I have power from heaven to radically change the universe, you would think he's out of his mind. If somebody stood in front of you and said, I am the Son of God in the flesh. I am the promised fulfillment of the Old Testament Scriptures. Everything that you have heard was talking about me. And you actually probably know people like that. They might not, they might not claim that, that the, the Old Testament was about them, but they really do claim that the whole universe really points to them. And what do you think of people like that? He's out of his mind. It doesn't make sense. And so that seems like an, an appropriate response. That when you, when you hear Jesus teaching these things, 
that you think he's out of his mind. And, and we, we don't see a positive response in, in Mark's gospel from Jesus' family to his ministry. In a, in a couple of chapters, in, in chapter 6, we'll, we'll actually be introduced to some of, of Jesus' family by name. It's actually when the crowds, when Jesus is back in his hometown, and the crowds hear Jesus' teaching, and they basically have the same response as the, as the family. They, they ask questions. Where did this man get these things? This is in chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. What's the wisdom that, that has been given him? That he even does miracles? And they ask this question then. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? The brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And the crowds took offense at him. See, the people that, that watched Jesus grow up in that ordinary human way, growing in, in knowledge, and yet in an extraordinary way because he lived a life without sin. When he stands and claims to be God's son, they think he's out of their mind. Now, the other gospel writers will give us some hints about the responses of, of Jesus' family later in his ministry, but here, the family thinks he's crazy. But we're, we're interrupted even before Jesus can, can deal with his family in verse 21. We, we jump immediately to, to a, another confrontation. We read in verse 22 that the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem, they, they bring a, a bigger claim. Not that he's crazy, but that he's evil. That he is knowingly in collusion with Satan. This is what they say in verse 22. He is possessed by Beelzebub. By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Now that that term Beelzebub is, is not a common one, not even in the, the Old Testament. It's, it's the name of a, of a Philistine god, the, the Baal of the flies or, or Beelzebub. It's, it's, it's a description, though, that, that clearly is meant to apply to Satan, to the demonic realm. And, and they say, by the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Now, you see what they're saying. See, we've We've lived our lives understanding that there's spiritual warfare taking place. But so far, we've only kind of had to deal with low-ranking demons. And suddenly, we now have a high-ranking demon who can step in. His, you want to know his name? His name's Jesus. Jesus, the high-ranking demon, who when he says, you other little peon demons, you do what I say, you march to my orders, that's the, the claim that they're making is that Jesus is not just an ordinary demon, but he's some kind of high-ranking demon in collusion with the devil himself, and that's where he gets his power from. He is evil. And you can see what they're, what they're trying to do. They're trying to make sense of the miracles that they've witnessed. They're trying to make sense of, of what Jesus is doing. Now, they're, they're not here on a, on a fact-finding mission. These are not the, the religious leaders that have already confronted Jesus. They have come from Jerusalem. That's a significant journey to get here, up to Galilee. And so they've, they've come down from Jerusalem because they've come down from the, the religious center down now to Galilee. But they didn't come to, to sort of gather information and go back and, and write a committee report and explain what Jesus has done. No, they came looking to pick a fight. Right now, right here, we can end this. We'll just expose Jesus as a failure, as a fraud. We'll expose him. Yes, he has power, but it's demonic power. He's in league with Satan. And so they're trying to undermine Jesus' ministry. But, the, but look at, at Jesus' response to them. He speaks to them in parables. He tells them these, these stories, these pithy, these pithy statements, these, the, 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 these phrases that will expose the, the foolishness of their thinking. 
You see, they're, they're saying he's some sort of high-ranking demon, and he says, if I were a high-ranking demon, I wouldn't be fighting against my own side. He says, how can Satan drive out Satan? It's not that you've seen me scatter demons to, to more effective ministry of, you know what, let's leave this little village of Capernaum alone, and let's head down to Jerusalem. Let's take our marching orders. No, that's not what Jesus that's not what the miracles have been. Jesus has, has thrown demons out with his words, and the demons have gone shrieking, screaming in fear of Jesus. So he asks, how can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. He's, he's showing them if Satan is, trying, if Satan is attacking himself, it makes no sense. It's not, an, it's not a reasonable explanation for what's taking place here. And then Jesus gives us the, the declaration of what's happened. If Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. And then Jesus says, his end has come. So this is not some plan for, for the, the threat of Satan to spread more, more diligently through the, the countryside. No, Jesus' confrontation with Satan draws the line in the sand where Jesus says, here and no further will you go. I have come to defeat you and destroy you. Jesus is confronting Satan. And Jesus is describing then that, that if, you are, if you are going to, to make off with the, the possessions of the strong man, if you're going to, 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 to destroy and, and take for yourself the power that belongs to the strong man, then you first have to subdue that strong man. So Jesus says, if you have seen me have power over Satan, it's because I have subdued Satan. Satan's end is here. Jesus is making a, a bold declaration. Now Jesus warns it in verse 29, one of the, the strongest warnings in all of Scripture. Jesus says, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. Now, that's a frightening verse. And if it's one that, that you can too casually just, just brush aside, I don't, I don't think you, you listened. There is a sin that will not be forgiven. There are some who will not be forgiven. There is an eternal punishment. And what is the sin? It's the blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. Now, why is this coming up in this context? It's because Jesus is warning the religious leaders that they are guilty. If they continue in this path, they will be guilty of blaspheming against God's Spirit because Jesus has said he ministers in the power of God's Spirit. We've seen it in, the, in the, this gospel already, that it's the Spirit of God who descended upon Jesus. Jesus came in the power of God's Spirit. And so if you oppose Jesus' ministry, then you are opposing God's Spirit. Commentators remind us that, that, that this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is, is not to make a, a casual statement or to slip up and, and, and say the wrong thing. No, this is, this is to, to, to plant yourself in stubborn resistance against Jesus. It means you're, you're repudiating God's role in the ministry of Jesus. You're saying, no, I want nothing to do with Jesus. You're saying that the redemptive work of God, you want nothing to do with it. The salvation that is being offered in Jesus, you reject it. And so to blaspheme the Holy Spirit is to resist Jesus. A resistance which continues so that you eventually look at Jesus as evil. 
And so that's the warning that, he, that, he's, that he's offering to the, the crowd who listens and to these religious leaders. To reject Jesus is to be guilty of an eternal sin. And see, that's why you can't just leave Jesus at arm's length in this category of nice religious teacher. No, when Jesus comes, he, he brings a greater confrontation with, than that. You either have to respond like the family and look and say, I think he's out of his mind. Or you have to say with the religious leaders, he is, he is deceptive and evil. Or what Mark is confronting us with is the reality of who Jesus really is. That Jesus is God himself. Jesus is divine. Jesus has come to offer rescue. Because while the warning in verse 29 is huge, that there is an eternal sin, the, 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 the stubborn resistance and rejection of Jesus is a sin which will be punished forever. There comes a great promise just a verse before that. Look at verse 28. One of the most beautiful descriptions of, of God's grace and forgiveness. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. All the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. Did you hear that? Jesus comes announcing forgiveness for you. All of your sins can be forgiven. All of your blasphemies, all of your, all of your sin and, re and rebellion against God, it's forgiven by Jesus. And so while the warning can't be overlooked in verse 29, that to reject Jesus means to accept an eternal punishment, the, the, the promise of forgiveness here is great, that forgiveness is offered even for the greatest sins. Forgiveness is offered even to the greatest sinners. Forgiveness is offered to you. And so Jesus is, is showing us what the response should look like. It comes when, when his family is brought back into the scene. In the, the, the second part of this sandwich, we were introduced to the family, but they were interrupted by the, the greater complaint and confrontation of the teachers of the law. But, but in verse 31, we're reminded that Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, and they're standing outside. And so the, the crowd is telling Jesus, your family's outside looking to arrest you, and they're calling you crazy. And it's not the kind of interruption that can just be ignored. Jesus, you're going to have to respond. You're going to have to do something about this. They're still there telling everyone, you're out of your mind. And so Jesus asks the question in verse 33, Who are my mother and my brothers? He looks at those seated around him and he says, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. You see, Jesus is telling the crowds, you too have to make a choice. You have to decide who I am, what my ministry means. Are you going to agree with my, my, my family who stands outside who think I'm crazy? Are you going to agree with the, the, the claim of the religious leaders, the scholars who have come from Jerusalem, that I'm evil? Are you going to listen? Will you hear what I have and will you obey God's will because I stand and speak to you the will of God? And Jesus doesn't, doesn't minimize the importance of family. The Gospels tell us how, the other Gospels tell us how Jesus will care for his mother even from the cross, asking the disciple John to care for her. The, the story of, the unfolding story of Jesus' ministry 
after his ascension into heaven, will show his brother James at the center of the church, one who has responded to the gospel. But what Jesus is saying is, is being related to me by, by family, by blood, is less important than being related to me by faith. And so when you respond to Jesus by faith, you become part of his family. It also means that, that there are some things in your life, even the best of things, that you might have to set aside for the sake of the gospel. The good of family, a family who would hold you back or tell you, you know what, I don't think Jesus really wants you to do that. I don't think Jesus really wants you to go there. Friends who will tell you, you know, that kind of lifestyle of, of, of trying to follow the holiness that Jesus demands, I don't think you should do that. See, there are times Jesus is saying where, where what your friends, what your family, what those that are closest to you tell you has to be set aside and you have to listen to me. There is a greater priority in your life placed on my words than even the words of your mother and your brothers and your sisters. It's also a reminder to us in this passage that, that when you declare Jesus to be the Lord, some people are going to think you are crazy. Some people are going to think you are evil. Because Jesus brings with him confrontation because Jesus, yes, comes alongside us as a friend, as a comforter, as a guide. But Jesus comes to us and says, I am the Lord of history. You must obey me. And when Jesus makes those kinds of claims, that will unsettle people. And so if you follow Christ, you should expect that some people in your life, maybe even those closest to you, will look at you and call you crazy. The coworkers or colleagues or classmates might think he's out of his mind. Or that as you try and follow the demands of Jesus, as you proclaim the gospel of Jesus, people might even, might even accuse you of being evil. But you see what Mark is letting us see, even in these confrontations, is who Jesus really is. Jesus is the one who stands up and says, I tell you the truth. You've longed to hear it. I will tell you the truth. All the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven then. And how? And we have the hints already here in this passage. His family doesn't succeed in arresting him, but I already told you that verb gets used again and again in this gospel. When the, when the religious leaders plot against Jesus, they look for a way to arrest him. They, they collude with one of the twelve, with Judas, and they come to arrest Jesus. We're told in the Garden of Gethsemane there on the, the night of Jesus' of the Last Supper, the night in which he instituted the Lord's Supper for us, we're told that just as Jesus was speaking to his disciples, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. See, Jesus came to be arrested. The confrontations we see from the religious leaders back in, in our chapter, chapter 3, will come to their fruition in chapter 14 because that was Jesus' purpose in coming. 
to give himself for us. He would be arrested and led to his death for you. And so when you look at Jesus, is he crazy? When you look at Jesus, when you see what he offers, do you, can you call him evil? Or do you reach the conclusion that the gospel demands of us to declare that Jesus is my rescuer? Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is my King. Jesus is my Lord. Because that's the conclusion the gospel is pointing us to. Jesus was arrested. He died for you.